The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. And welcome to October's Home Cinema Podcast. Coming up this month, we have a special look at Panasonic's new projector, the PTAE 2000, with AV Forum's technical editor, Neil Davidson, bringing us a full report from the German launch this week. And we also look forward to the AV show season and the launch of our own review website. And I'm joined, as always, on the Home Cinema Podcast with the AV Forum's technical editor, Neil Davidson, is here. Hello, Neil. Hi, Phil. Thanks for the, the great new introduction. Just quickly explain that new title. Uh, basically, Phil, what I do with you guys is that we work together to, to look at all of the technical content for the AV Forums uh, and also exciting new addition to the forum, which I'm sure you're going to talk about a bit later on. Make sure that everything technically is correct. Uh, and also that the information that we're giving out is technically correct to make sure that we, we uh, are a good sounding board for AV Forums readers and listeners to the podcast. Now, we had an invite last week um, to pop over to Germany and have a look at the new Panasonic PTAE 2000 projector. Um, so you went over there on our behalf, Neil. What did you see? Well, it was uh, a fantastic event, Phil, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, for people who are not familiar... Panasonic actually have their main projector facility in a place called Wiesbaden uh, in the north of Germany, just outside Frankfurt. They have quite a large cinema over there. For people who don't realise, Panasonic actually also make very large DLP projectors for use in commercial markets, for for renting and staging as it's known, uh, and also for some digital cinema applications. Uh, And all of this stuff usually gets tested over in the cinema in Wiesbaden. But for uh, the launch of the new projectors, they had set up some nice demonstrations where we were able to see the older PT-1000 side-by-side with the PT-2000 and also take a look at the new uh, AX200 with its improved game mode. So as well as getting to see the the new projectors, Neil, I understand that there was also quite a collection of Panasonic engineers and uh, technical people on hand to answer your questions as well. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the main highlights for me of this event, Phil. Typically, when you go along to these sort of events, you're meeting with marketing people and stuff like that, which is, of course, great. Um, but these guys don't have the inside technical knowledge um, to tell you, you know, basically some of the decisions that were made uh, in the design of the processor, uh, of the projector, sorry. And also, they don't have the inside knowledge on why certain decisions were made, why features have been implemented the way they have been, why they've been chosen. And at this event that we went to with Panasonic, the people were on hand who could actually really answer those questions in quite a lot of detail. And for me, that was really quite exciting and interesting to be able to talk to these guys. And hopefully, as our listeners will find out a bit later on in this podcast, we've been able to to translate some of that excitement uh, over to them as well. Now, Neil, there's quite an influx of 1080p projectors coming to market or that are just hit, hitting the market now. Um, obviously, we've got Epson bringing their TW2000, uh, Mitsubishi la- launching their HC6000, uh, as well as JVC bringing out another uh, model to complement the HD1. Um, so where do you think Panasonic's going to fit in amongst all those new models coming to market? 
Yeah, Phil, as you know, I've uh, already been hands-on with the HD100 from JVC, the TW2000 from Epson, um, and you have the HC6000 from Mitsubishi in for testing at the moment. So it was interesting to put some uh, form of uh, comparison to the PT2000, and uh, you'll be pleased to know that there was a bit of time just to get a little bit of hands-on. I was the only journalist there who had brought his collection of test DVDs along with him, um, so was able to give the, the machine quite a good little test out there. Not ideal conditions, but good enough to get an impression, I think. So Neil, there'll be the cynical amongst us who just think, well, it's another year, another model. Um, was there anything new on the on the 2000 which wasn't there on the 1000? Um, it was certainly a case of evolution rather than revolution. Uh, with the 2000. Um, however, I think the, the moves that they've made have have brought the projector along a fair bit. I think it's very, very difficult to have a real revolutionary release and projection at the minute because, quite frankly, uh, the 1080p models around the two £2,500 mark have been impressing us so much with their performance. Uh, at the current minute in time, it would be very difficult to have a revolutionary leap over those Certainly, I think what they've done with the PT2000 is move it along. They've listened to uh, what customers have been asking for and tried to uh, improve in those areas where they had most problems with the PT1000 to make the PT2000 a more uh, evolved package all round. One of the things we picked up on when we tested the 1000 was the dynamic iris control. And in the end, we ended up turning it off because it was just getting on our nerves too much and it wasn't actually doing the job very quickly. Has this improved with the 2000? Well, one of the things that I was actually able to do, I was actually able to have the two uh, dynamic iris mechanisms in my hand. Uh, the guys at Panasonic had very nicely brought a, a large parts bucket along with them um, for us to see just exactly what was going into the projectors. And it was interesting to note uh, that one of the mechanisms uh, had brass. It was a full brass mechanism, so brass cogs and everything, whereas the other mechanism was nylon. So that was quite interesting to note. Now, I have to confess, I forgot to ask which one was which. So please, uh, if anyone wants to open up their PT-1000 and tell us which of the dynamic iris uh, mechanisms belong with which projector, um, then do so. AV forums cannot be responsible for any damage you do, though. <laughs> no, so it looked as though they had worked on the actual mechanism. Now, when we were testing it, uh, people who are not familiar with the review, we actually used a scene from King Kong that has machine guns, uh, and it actually sounded as though the dynamic iris was really adding to the sound effects of the movie. It was fantastic from that point of view, but really terrible for the picture. Actually using the mechanism, I guess what was happening was that the, the iris uh, is two flaps on the Panasonic. It's quite a unique iris system, and the flaps just move in and out of the, the picture as required. Now, Effectively, what the flaps were doing was coming back and hitting the stop rather than smoothly stopping. And I don't think that that will be possible on the new model. However, of course, it remains to wait and see how it performs in the field. But the, the construction changes and so on show that they've obviously listened quite carefully. One of the things that the engineers also mentioned to me, Phil, uh, was that they've been looking at the slight issue that some people have had of the dynamic iris sticking a little bit and I believe again I mentioned that the construction seems to be different between the two iris 
mechanisms. And I'm pretty sure that's been the real driver for that change. So again, hopefully, uh, that's an example of where Panasonic have listened to the customer feedback and have evolved the design um, rather than made a, a, a revolutionary step forward. Uh, but hopefully that will be a big improvement if we don't have any more problems with the dynamic iris. So Neil, you took your test discs with you. Um, what kind of impression did this projector give you then? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was hardly ideal circumstances uh, for doing a, a full test. Uh, the projectors looked to have been pretty well set up with terms of their focus and so on. Uh, the projector was hooked up to a Panasonic Blu-ray player, which of course was set for a 1080i60 output. Um, so of course not the absolute ideal conditions for doing a test. What I was able to do though was run through the HQV um, test suite. The regular listeners will know that, that we've uh, been quite impressed with the HQV uh, DVDs um, and the Blu-ray and HD versions allow us to do some, some pretty good testing. Um, the fact that it was running interlaced, of course, allowed to check the, the processing within the projector. And I have to say, uh, hand on heart, that the results, um, just the, the results from the HQV disc, were very, very, very impressive indeed. I would compare them to some external processors, to be honest with you, uh, for their processing results. So a very impressive result for this projector. It looked as though there was a little bit of ringing um, still in the scaling. Uh, and there's a new mode which is known as the, the clarity processor. Uh, people will, will notice that in the literature. Um, and that's kind of a dynamic edge enhancement control. Uh, in normal footage, I have to say that it looked to have an okay effect. Um, it wasn't putting anything really unpleasant into the picture and seemed to be helping with just getting a little bit of extra detail. But when we ran the test patterns through, it was obvious that it just added a little bit of ringing, which of course was was not an ideal thing to have but overall the processing was very impressive now the other thing that we were able to do because the demonstration was set up so that a PT-1000 was on one side of the stage and a PT-2000 was on the other side um, they were run a split feed from a Blu-ray player running Pirates of the Caribbean which of course we are quite familiar with using as a test scene and within those uh, even even taking account of the, the difficult lighting conditions, it was obvious that there was just a little bit of extra sharpness in the 2000. Just the detail was just that little bit crisper, and you can only put that down to an improvement in the optics. Um, the optics certainly have been improved quite significantly uh, over the 1000, which I think people will be quite pleased to hear. The one downside, as far as I'm concerned, with the picture was that the smooth screen technology is still in place and you still can't disable it. And I still can't decide whether that smoothness is a good thing or not. Um, I can't decide if it's costing me just a little bit of the crispness of the image. That will, again, be something that I think people will want to have a look at in a demo. But overall, a very impressive uh, first impression from the PT-2000. Okay, so Neil, uh, one of the, the great features of the 1000 uh, projector from Panasonic was the waveform monitor. Now, we had quite a bit of a play about with that, and um, overall, we were quite impressed with it being on a projector at that price range to start with. So what have they done to develop the, the waveform monitor on with the 2000? Yeah, they've done quite a lot with the calibration features on the whole with the 2000. 
Um, one of the main things that they've done, or really the main thing that they've done with the waveform monitor, what most people would find useful with the waveform monitor is making sure that they have the brightness and contrast control set to OK levels. I don't want to say correct levels because it doesn't take any account, of course, of the external lighting conditions, but it will at least allow people to make sure that they're getting the, the most dynamic range from their connected equipment using the waveform monitor. Uh, and what the new waveform monitor actually does is if you put up a grayscale with steps in it, so a 10-step grayscale, the waveform monitor will actually calibrate the projector uh, so that black is at zero uh, and white is at 100. Now, that's a quite nice feature for people who are perhaps not so confident about doing a calibration themselves. As I say, it's not a perfect calibration because it doesn't take any account of uh, the external conditions, but you can at least be sure that you're getting the most dynamic range out of your system. So, so quite a nice feature from that point of view. The other thing that they've done just to make the waveform monitor a little bit more user-friendly, and people who've used it will recall that the 100% actually had a bar above it as well, um, which seemed to indicate something like 105%, and I know that caused no end of confusion. So what they've done on the PT2000 is they've made the decision just to quite simply have uh, a line at 0% and a line at 100%. I think that's a good move. It makes it a bit easier for people to use. Talking about calibration, um, a lot of the projector manufacturers these days are uh, implementing the controls that we like to see, which is such as colour management controls and so on. Um, Epsom even going the whole ISF route and having ISF um, C3 controls in there. What's Panasonic doing in the calibration front for professional calibrators or enthusiasts with the right tools? And what Panasonic have done is, is very, very interesting, I think. Um, I certainly don't agree with all of the decisions that they've made, and I can tell you it made for quite some interesting discussion between myself and a couple of the engineers on the day. But I really congratulate them for doing something different and taking calibration seriously. Uh, one of the biggest features and, and selling points that Panasonic are using with the PT2000 is that it has been developed in association with the Hollywood Labs. Um, and really what they're trying to do is use the projector to really convey uh, exactly the way a movie was intended to be seen uh, by working with the Hollywood Labs to set up uh, particular presets and stuff like that uh, for, for accuracy. Now, what they've done in terms of their calibration facilities, and I think the nicest feature of all is a split-screen mode. And the split-screen mode allows you to see the changes that you're making on one side whilst the original image remains on the other side. Uh, and I think that that one feature in its own right is something that every other manufacturer uh, should look at trying to implement into their displays. It's so, so useful per, for people to be able to see side by side uh, exactly what effect each of the controls has on the picture and also how much improved the picture actually is once it's been set up properly. So very, very much a, a good feature for people to use. When we were testing the original PT-1000, Phil, the one thing that disappointed us was the, the colour the color correction feature, let's call it colour targeting. What we would have liked to have seen is a full colour management system being implemented, such as the Epson TW2000 does so well as a very, very good colour management system. The Panasonic 
has a, a, a kind of a colour management system which allows you to go in and select colours and you can adjust that particular shade to whatever you prefer. Now, the problem with that is that it's only operating over a very, very small number of shades within the entire colour gamut. I actually was pleased to be able to speak to Takayuki Kimoto, who is one of the engineers at Panasonic who was heavily involved in doing this, and he was kind enough to explain to me exactly why Panasonic have done it this way. That feature is very, very similar to what the, the colourists actually have uh, in their systems, uh, in, in, the, in the labs, when they're creating the movies. Now, the colourists, though, have the benefit of being able to choose any shade pretty much within the gamut to touch up in that way, whereas, of course, on the, the projector, you're limited uh, to very few, something like eight colours that you can do a touch-up on. Uh, and for me, I, it's interesting to know that's why they've done it, but being able to only adjust eight colours from the whole gamut of colours really isn't sufficient. And I think it would have been better to have just implemented a traditional colour management system in there. Now, what was interesting for the, the more technically minded out there is that the projector does implement a true 3D lookup table. And the, the, the very clever guys at Panasonic actually are able to implement the 3D lookup tables in real time. So as you can be certain, I have asked if there's any way at all uh, that we may be able to see uh, that feature being released to, to trained uh, users or, or trained installers at some point, because that would really set the projector uh, market alight at this price point to have a feature like that to be able to go in and manipulate uh, 3D lookup tables in the projector. I don't think they were 100% uh, sold on the idea, though. Um, but who knows, maybe something that we can see in the future. Now, this is always uh, the benefit of these events where you have the technicians on hand, is the basically the trading of ideas. Um, obviously, Neil, you're an ISF trainer. You're responsible for a lot of what goes on, certainly in the European side of things, training dealers and installers and so on. Did you find that the trading of ideas w was working? Do, do you think that Panasonic were actually listening to, to the ideas that you were giving them? I, I personally felt that the exchange of ideas with the, the Panasonic uh, representatives was absolutely fantastic. People who know me will know that I'm just nuts about video technology and colour correction and all of this kind of stuff. And I felt that Panasonic had gone out of their way to send over their best people in all of these areas to showcase the projector in the best way. And if I hadn't been lucky enough to be attending the event anyway. That's the sort of thing that I uh, I would have sold my right arm to <laughs> to have been able to attend an event like that and, and have discussion with these people who are involved in this on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I felt that it was interesting for them to get a different viewpoint, perhaps on the marketplace than they're used to getting. People who don't know me perhaps won't realise how active I am in the, the commercial side of the market. Um, so I, I'm lucky enough I get to see lots of products from a very technical point of view, but also I uh, I get to see how people have to sell products. And at the end of the day, if, if people can't sell products, they can't make products. Uh, they can't make those great things that we all enjoy to, to play with and uh, see in our home cinemas. And hopefully, well, maybe we'll see some interesting stuff from Panasonic and uh, I'll be able to, to claim a few uh, bits of uh, information that went into uh, helping the designs a little bit. 
One exchange uh, you did have was concerning the Cinema One mode within the projector. Can you just explain what the Cinema One mode was, who it was you spoke to, and, and what was the information like that came back? Yeah, the Cinema One mode is, is a very interesting thing. Cinema One is a mode that the actual Hollywood labs of Panasonic have worked with a very well-known colorist called David Bernstein to implement a mode which really matches what he sees in his colour mastering studio when he's doing the colouring for the Hollywood movies. Now, it was very interesting to learn exactly how they went about doing this. As people will hear, we have an interview recorded that goes into this in some more detail. But what they were really doing was sitting down and watching the movie footage that uh, David had worked on and was extremely familiar with how it should look. And he was giving advice that they were able to implement in real time in the projector to change how colours were being displayed on screen to match precisely to his vision. Now those changes um, and adjustments and so on are all stored under the Cinema One preset. Um, So Panasonic believe that the Cinema One preset is the most accurate preset for watching Hollywood movies. Of course this remains to be seen in more detail how that actually translates to the real world, but a very, very interesting development indeed. Now, the gentleman that we were actually able to talk to about this is Mr. Kaisuke Suitsugi. Apologies to uh, any Japanese who are shocked at my pronunciation there. Now, Kaisuke is the general manager of high-quality design strategy, high-quality AV development for Panasonic Networks in Japan. So uh, a very, very, very senior person within the Panasonic organization and he was kind enough to give us a a very detailed interview and explanation on the process of tuning the PT-2000. The first thing that Mr. Suetsugi wanted to speak about was the Cinema One preset within the projector. So uh, Cinema One, we started off from the uh, the AE500 in 2003. So at that time, like I mentioned in my presentation today, there was no display can reproduce what cinematographers or colorists looked at in a traditional bay uh, for the home projector. Yep. So we try to solve that problem in a quickest way and efficient way on this product. So we start working with the David. But uh, uh, basically, like I said, we use the uh, his film. Uh, something, some stuff he worked on, then try to make my projector uh, for him to look like same image he saw in a Teresina Bay. So that was a starting point. Um, so to get that specific, yeah. you really went out of your way to work with the colorist to develop a projector to show an image that matched what he was seeing on his master monitor. So that, that, that's, the, that's the thing. Uh, his first reaction was, um, first reaction, he kept saying, looks great, looks great. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't serious doing that <laughs> kind was, of thing. He was he, guarding your feelings. Right. You know, it's a $2,000 projector, then already got the uh, good picture quality on that. So, Kesuke, looks good, looks great. <laughs> so, he didn't uh, <laughs> pay attention to this for the first three days. So, but... You know, the guys from the division, they thought, the, uh, okay, so we're, our projector is good, good. But a couple of days later, okay, why, why are we here? 
why I'm here. Is it okay just living like this? Then is David serious? No, no, he's not serious. We we are failing for him to make serious. Did you feel? Did you so, feel yourself as a group that you were disappointed so far, at that stage? Well, first time. Uh, because he said it looks great, so we were happy, of course. All right, good. But a couple of days later, no, no, this is not enough. We should do more. We should do better. And uh, his level should be much higher than this level. Yep. We we have a bunch of the problems in my project today. So, uh, Mr. Akiyama, he's a, a key engineer of the project development. Uh, he somehow developed the uh, color correction system for the A500, uh, make changes on the software, load up to the uh, load to the projector. Ten seconds later, new setting will be showing up. Okay. So I, we decided to show that uh, system. So, system to him. Then he said, oh, you can do that? Okay. Then I have an opinion. <laughs> so that was the starting point. So we, that tool made him so serious. But he knew that you could really make changes to yes. what he was saying. We, we made a so subtle change for him. So that, you know, he didn't expect that small change can be happening on this consumer device. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that, that movement made him so serious. Okay, yeah. So... So he starts saying, okay, so as a colorist, I have to say, your black is not a black. What, what do you mean? Okay, feed black looks, I don't remember, it was a magenta or a greenish, I don't remember, but black was not black. Some so, that was, so that was the first thing he pointed out. Then, okay, white is not a white. <laughs> That's the second thing. Uh, white should be pure white. Look at this paper. This is a white. Your picture, this is green. Yep. Um, that was a common strategy for the project manufacturer. The brightness was the biggest, biggest issue in the project. So put a little more green light makes more better contrast ratio. So that was a common strategy. So there was no yellow notch filter, no nothing. No, no, little less. You know, uh, easiest way to get a contrast is a more green. Of course, just so, let more so light go through. We, we had that one. So, okay, don't do that. Uh, make white white. Uh, <laughs> so that was the second suggestion from him. Then make skin tone more skin tone. Your color is way too red. So get the skin tone right. So those three components, after he laughed, made a rough adjustment for those three portions, uh, project that got the that looked very good on, already. Then um, we Were start you surprised using, how much better it looked? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so this is the color we should <laughs> after. Uh, interesting thing is, if the projection system is way off to the side, on one side, you don't see so much of the, uh, you don't see a subtle difference Absolutely. in the color. There's uh, some kind of the uh, optimizing point, um, when you get to the right point, all of a sudden, all the color uh, will pops up. Oh, this color should be this way. Oh, these two colors should have been different. We didn't know content has diff two different colors in it. We saw those two colors are same, but only when you got the projector or display right in a condition, yep. uh, you see those two different. So that was the first thing we learned from him. Then, addition to that, we made a small adjustment here and there with using really red content, bluish content, skin tone content, 
then maybe we spend two, three days after that. Uh, then we finished at A500. In your presentation earlier on, you actually mentioned two or three movies that you had used for, right. for reference when doing yes, this. Yes. I was right. quite interested that you chose to use some movies. Was that specifically because... Uh, because of the colors. He was, David was so familiar with the content right. itself. Uh, if, you, if you pick just one content to adjust the display system, display can be really good on that content, but it looks so bad on the other content. So we intentionally uh, picked three completely different types of the movies. One suspense movie, one so red movie, so natural movie. So make one adjustment, look through all three of those, then make another change, then all look all three contents again. So take time, very time consuming, but uh, we ended up that way is the most efficient way to get the optimizing. And points. so the process was really, you would watch the footage for some time, and then there would be some comments, and you would go and make some changes in the software. Right, right. Wow. Right. So we, we edited the tape uh, total, it's like a 20 minutes. Uh, Spend 20 minutes to look, to get a feeling. Red should be this way, green, blue. To make some changes. Okay, this, this, this. Okay, let's let's take another shot. Then it takes 20 minutes to look through again. So that's what we did. And uh, we are surprised that yeah, after that calibration, any movie looks correct. Yep. Uh, so so that was most uh, impressed. Uh, moment we had the fact during, that during this uh, Hollywood. Activity. Once you had found the so-called right settings, the fact uh -huh. that they uh -huh. looked uh -huh. really correct for everything right, else. Right. Then, of course, at the end of the session, okay, but uh, you need to get the black down. <laughs> well, not this year. So next year, coming back, AE seven hundred. Okay, David, we improved the black level. Okay, good. Let's do it again. Do same thing, go over, go over. But this year you have a little more better black, so you can utilize those dynamic range to the other portion. Uh, a 500. We tweak the gamma curve, uh, try to build the uh, snappy look uh, with the limited dynamic range. More of an S sort of a gamma shape. Yes, S and uh, some secret going on. <laughs> but uh, well, if you measure, you can probably you can take those curve. But, uh, you know, uh, skin tone, you know, face to... Yes, do, do some things so here and there. We, we like to see those kind of pictures. So uh, Gamma Curve is actually a little bit tweaked okay. on a 500. But we didn't have to do that on the AE700. So same type of the improvement made until AE900. Um, so that's the kind of the thing. Mm. Okay. So that's, that's a core portion, uh, core... Uh, main, main, how do you say, philosophy of yes. the uh, Cinema One development. So for every yeah. projector model, basically since the 500, uh -huh. you've gone through that process of part of the overall yeah. projector design. Yeah. Right. Wow. Right. And when you've been doing that, has it all been done with eye, or is there any actual measurement? In um, measurement is done, of course, uh, but uh, sometimes people's eyes is more sensitive or more accurate than the those measuring device. Below 20 IRE? 100%. Right. Uh, and uh, Mr. Akiyama said one time, 
got so surprised that yeah, David is looking at the uh, below the measuring device can distinguish. Yep. His eyes better than measuring equipment. He's looking at that difference in the image. Uh, he said that. So we need to get a basic with the measuring device. Yep. But uh, for those fine tuning. Uh, we still have to rely on to some professional eyes. Um, I, I, I agree that yeah. at certain levels that right. you really need to look at the image right. um, and certainly as part of a, a calibration mm -hmm. as we would do for end users. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, there's always a, a, mm -hmm. a process at the end right. of that where you just simply right. need to look at some movie footage mm -hmm. and say, mm -hmm. does it look yes. right or yes. does it look wrong? Right. And at the end of the day, it has to come down to how you see that. So mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. interesting that you've also done it that way. Mm -hmm. So that brought us up to the, the 900 model. Uh, 1000 is the same. Okay. Uh, difference, biggest difference between 900 to 1000 is that 1000 has a little bit wider keragamat yes. than the 900. We put the uh, pure color filter yes. uh, kind of thing. So that made uh, keragamat a little bit wider. Um, and so the 1000, the color gamut was getting close to the digital cinema. Speak. Yeah, it's already been close to the, not exactly matching to it, but uh, close to the uh, getting there. D DCI uh, minimum spec. Yep. Mm. For our regular listeners, mm. uh, the fact that the projector can match the digital cinema spec uh -huh. really isn't an important point for their day to day viewing. Right. But it's actually very <laughs> interesting. We've learned today yeah. that the, the 2000 and the 1000 have actually been extensively used in the production process for movies. Uh -huh. Of course, we lived in uh, Hollywood. We made a lot of friends. Uh, so one of the friends was from the Laser Pacific. Uh, Laser Pacific is the, uh, the post-production company. And then they were building the system for the dailies uh, in a movie production. Yep. Uh, you, you know dailies? Sure. Dailies is the uh, uh, kind of reviewing process as they are... Uh, um, movie shooting process going on maybe two months three months sometimes six months and uh, they need to check almost every day what they have shot in the previous day day before then they need to make sure uh, shooting gun yesterday is all right otherwise they cannot crash scrap the uh, set yep. uh, everything uh, so uh, they look at those uh, shot they did the day before from a technical point artistic standpoint or legal standpoint they have to avoid some uh, <laughs> you know uh, whatever the copyrighted material those kind of thing is incorporated so those are the objective of the dailies uh, dailies used to be in their film dailies uh, they printed the negative film to the actual flash print uh, positive print, uh, print, then projected it in the uh, theater. So that was almost perfect environment. But as video technology going, getting improving, um, their dailies is becoming more for the video dailies. Uh, the, their worst dailies was on the VHS. There's no way to check the focus. Uh, <laughs> this, this small 20-inch TV, um, you don't get a sense uh, of the uh, uh, what they've shot 
movie is meant to be projected in the big uh, 20-inch TV. <laughs> cannot, you, they cannot you check. You could sit very close to it. Right. So one time Stephen Posta told me, one time I decided to stop watching the dailies because that affects my creative uh, decision. Um, if the screen is too small, uh, we the, tend to go in to the, uh, how do you say, zoom, tends to make a uh, image yes. bigger. So that makes me to make a wrong decision in a creative sense. So sometimes I have to stop this. But, uh, like I said, the AE700, he said, I want to use this projector for my dailies. Um, so that was kind of a starting point uh, of the uh, use my AE projector in the digital dailies, professional domain. Then feeding device was actually uh, supplied by a Laser Pacific. So Laser Pacific knew our projector was in use by uh, Stephen Poster. So I was inviting them to the demo every year. Um, then one time we presented them. We have a wider caragama. Oh, what is that? So is that matching to the DCI minimum spec or not? Uh, it's close, but maybe you want to try out. So they tested out uh, A1000. Um, they are now under Kodak company, so they sent the projector to the Kodak laboratory. <laughs> so they are, you know, 100 years of the history of the color science. So they measured, uh, of course we got some feedback, but uh, they ended up using A1000 in a professional domain. So like I said, the, uh, one of the cinematographer, Dani Okada, um, he used the, uh, this projector in the uh, his shooting, and uh, we didn't hear anything during the shooting, so I thought that was a good sign. Yes, <laughs> no complaints. So, no complaints, and uh, he came back and uh, with a smiling. <laughs> it's good. Cascade, it worked. So we were so glad, and um, this, this system is constantly working. I'm hearing. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's very interesting to learn yeah. that exactly the same projector is being put to such critical colour use yep. in a professional environment and people can actually enjoy that exact same level yeah. of performance yeah. in their home now. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So thank okay. you very much. For up to the minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com Okay Neil, so that was a, a very interesting conversation. So um, what conclusions did you bring from your short time with the uh, with the 2000 and any other features which we haven't discussed yet? Yeah, there was one other feature, Phil, that, that caught my eye when the, the Panasonic guys mentioned it. Uh, the projector, of course, has support for 1080p24, as you would expect. Uh, but what it's doing with that signal, it's actually quadrupling it up for display. So it's getting displayed at uh, 96 frames per second. I think that's the first one I've heard that's doing an internal quadrupling. Um, so very, very impressive indeed. And certainly the motion looked quite, quite smooth when we were watching the playback of Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, my impressions of the projector overall are that it's certainly one to look out for. The main problems that people had with the last model were with the dynamic iris uh, and with the, the slight lack of uh, optical focus. Now, with the, the newly designed optics, um, the optics themselves are actually hand-tuned in the factory, 
which uh, is is almost unheard of uh, at the price point, um, and very very impressive indeed. And you can certainly see that the optical quality is dramatically improved uh, over the two th- over the one thousand model. Some of the other features are interesting, but not necessarily particularly useful to people. Um, things like the slightly extended color space for uh, digital cinema applications and stuff like that uh, that people will never basically use in a home environment. Um, the other probably key factors in the performance are the black level is certainly uh, slightly improved. Um, there's no doubts about that. Uh, it was very, very difficult for me, though, to assess if the projector is any brighter. There's been a lot of talk already over the new 1500 lumens figure compared to 1000 lumens uh, on the the previous model. Now, I have to say that uh, those figures are absolutely no way achievable um, if you're watching in any of the the remotely accurate modes. Um, I would have said that the new projector is more like 500 lumens uh, once it's in the calibrated mode. uh, That's definitely brighter uh, than the, the, the 1000, but still not as bright as the, the, some of the other models that are out there. Uh, of course, these are just my first impressions. Uh, there was quite a bit of light in the room, but I'm sure once we have a model to review for AV forums, uh, we'll be able to, to tell people conclusively how bright or otherwise the projector is. Thanks for that, Neil. That's our roundup of the uh, launch of the PTAE 2000 in Germany. And uh, stand by because we've got some more stuff coming up in a second. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. Moving on and moving away from projectors and to round up uh, this month's podcast. Uh, Neil, we've got a few big shows coming up. It's uh, the show time of the year again. First one, Scottish Hi-Fi Show coming up on the 27th, 28th, which is at the uh, Dalmahoy Hotel, which is just outside Edinburgh. And I understand your company, T&W Marketing, uh, will be exhibiting. Yes, uh, we are going to be exhibiting at this show, Phil. Uh, We're actually going to be showing off a couple of reference award-winning products from the AV Forums reviews. First of all, we're going to have uh, the Genelec uh, 6040, an HTS4 system, which was recently reviewed by yourself. Um, You were quite impressed, I know, uh, and I hope that the people who come along and see the system on the day will also be very impressed. Uh, We are also going to have the Odyssey uh, Multi-EQ in place, um, which again has been a a very popular product uh, in terms of the reviews. Uh, And we will also have a little exclusive for people. Uh, We're going to have the first look uh, at a European consumer show of the digital projection Titan series projectors. So we'll have a a three-chip DLP projection model there uh, with a full anamorphic lens setup uh, projecting onto a 3-meter 2.35 to 1 screen. Um, I'm sure that anyone who's interested in home cinema will find it quite interesting. Uh, And I certainly hope to see some AV Forums members there on the day. So that's the Scottish Hi-Fi show at Darmahoy Hotel, just outside Edinburgh, 27th and 28th of October. And then moving on is the What Hi-Fi and Best of Stuff show, and that runs from the 2nd 
to the 4th of November and myself and Neil will be there for that one as well so what are you looking forward to at that show Neil? Well the thing with the, the Hot Hi-Fi show is that a lot of people use that as a, a showcase for some new things that's coming up um, so there's nothing particularly on my radar at the minute but what I am looking forward to is just seeing some of the new stuff that's out there uh, every year you seem to get a surprise or two at the What Hi-Fi show with something new just sneaks in um, and I shall be uh, looking forward to finding out for me what that product is this year. And uh, for the What Hi-Fi and Stuff show, we will be doing a special podcast. Uh, myself and Neil will be out on the show floor with our sound recorders in hand and talking to the people that AV Forum's members really want to hear from. So that's the What Hi-Fi and Best of Stuff show. It runs from the 2nd to the 4th of November, and you can expect the Home Cinema podcast to come out a couple of days after that. So that's the two big shows coming up before the end of the year. And Neil, I think we should also talk about a new website which was launched um, this month. And funnily enough, it's an offshoot of the AV Forums. Uh, it's actually the AV Forums Hardware Reviews site. And it's uh, it really is a special project um, for you and for myself. It's something which we've talked about for such a long time. It's actually up and running now. Um, just for forum members to note... Um, Neil has devised a whole set of new tests um, for us to run when we review equipment. We've taken the time to make sure that we have uh, identical testing equipment, that we run the same tests and so on, so you can be assured that our reviews um, certainly will be, from a technical standpoint, um, accurate, and um, hopefully we will be able to build up um, quite a nice database of information, Neil. Yes, as as you say, Phil, the way that the reviews are going to be structured on there is a little bit different from what people will see if they visit the site immediately after listening to the podcast. Uh, all of the future reviews are going to be a bit more technical in nature, um, and I think people will be quite interested and pleased to see some of the new measurements and so on that we're making. Uh, it's important for people to also understand, you touched on the equipment there, um, the equipment that the AV forums have invested in is really very, very high quality equipment, um, in particular using spectrophotometer uh, for measuring the displays uh, rather than uh, the, the more typical colorimeter devices that are used uh, for reviewing displays. So people can be assured that uh, reviews of all display types, including projection, are as accurate as possible. Yeah, Neil, so we will be going quite in depth with some of our testing, but uh, if people aren't really that interested in the whole technical side, um, I think they will also certainly get a more accurate idea of what the product's like um, just by looking at uh, the testing that's gone on and, and the conclusions that we come to. Yeah, I mean, that's there's no point doing testing for testing's sake. So the tests have really been designed to try and expose uh, various areas of performance um, and we hope that people will become familiar with the measurements and tests that we're doing. There'll be quite a lot of data going up there and articles and so on that really explain the tests that we are doing. Um, now, for those who are obviously interested in the graphs and measurements and all that sort of stuff, it will be fantastic for them. Uh, but for those who are a little bit less interested, they'll be able to use some of that information um, but also they'll be able to understand more where our f- subsequent subjective assessment of the, the display's performance actually comes from. Um, and also remember with this being AV forums, uh, uniquely people have the power to instantly comment on the reviews and that's something that we really hope that people will still uh, be as active and vocal 
in giving their feedback on all of the reviews that we do. The whole reason that we wanted to start doing reviews was because of the community, and it's a good point that you raise there, Neil. We really do want the community to get involved as much as possible in giving us feedback on what's being reviewed, what we have coming for review, and so on. And hopefully once these tests um, have been running for a few months and once we get the products through, people will be able to start to make some real um, comparisons against other uh, other pieces of equipment in such a way that one thing we won't do is we won't be doing shootouts, we won't be getting four or five projectors in a room and, and um, you know the best one wins, that type of thing. The way we're aiming it is more that the consumer can look uh, or the end user or the forums members can look at basically a database of, of hard data that's there and that should help them get a short list of stuff to go and demonstrate. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic what we've been able to achieve. We've been able to really leverage the power of the internet um, in a way that I don't think has been done before. Um, and it, it's going to start to show up trends in particular display types, particular technologies, their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, we're going to be able to see how products are evolving over time. Um, we're going to see if some new technology comes along, if it really can back up its claims to be the next big thing. Uh, and once this really starts to to, uh, to get filled up the database, I think our readers and listeners will find it a very, very useful resource to help them when it comes time to decide what to do for their next uh, display product. And obviously, once we've got the display side up and running, uh, we'll be able to, to look at ways to roll this out into other different types of devices. Now, the news tests, uh, they're coming along very soon, um, hopefully, Uh, we should have our first reviews up on the website in the first week of next month. But before that, if you want to go and have a look at the website and the reviews that we've done so far, then the address is avreviews.avforums.com and uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what you think so far of the website and hopefully we can produce something which will be of use um, to everybody on the forums and uh, all that leaves me to do now is to thank Neil Davidson our technical uh, editor thank you Neil thanks Phil and uh, that's all we got time for for this month's Home Cinema podcast next month we will be coming to you from the What Hi-Fi and Best of Stuff show that runs from the 2nd to the 4th of November and we will hopefully be on air a couple of days after that so tune in for that and this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next month The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.